The leadership experts will tell you that if you are going to become a strong leader, that you need to start by leading yourself. And I agree with those experts. In the beginning, when we are given that cliched, you know, everyone's a leader, we all have to lead ourselves, I suppose you don't take it that seriously. But as I've matured as a leader, I realize more and more that like your strength or your health comes from your, your gut, your leadership comes from self-knowledge and self-leadership. If you can lead yourself, you are more likely to be able to lead others. Because if you think about leadership as we've spoken about it, leadership is about influence. And so if we can't influence ourselves, we are most probably going to have an issue leading others. Hi, I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. That's the voice of Alon Ray, CEO of Racecorp, as he guides us during this series, which is all about leading a small business as it grows. In the first two episodes, we look carefully at business leadership versus small business leadership, as well as leadership versus management. Alon asked some important questions that have set the stage for today's discussion around self-leadership. During this episode, Alon unpacks four areas he believes form the core of successful entrepreneurial leadership. As usual, have a pen and notebook handy. This is another important conversation, and we're starting with the first area, self-awareness. If you have self-awareness, you will be more likely to understand your biases. And so if you understand your biases, you might understand what is clouding your judgment. You might if you have better self-awareness, understand your weaknesses. And by understanding your weaknesses, you understand your vulnerabilities. And so you as a leader might understand perhaps where you might be attacked or where you need to improve yourself in order to mitigate against being attacked. And by understanding your weaknesses, as a leader, you might surround yourself with people with strengths relative to your weaknesses. If I look at myself and my business partner, we are chalk and cheese, yin and yang. I'm an over-communicator, he's an under-communicator. He is a health fanatic and I'm not. <laughs> so we, we are completely opposite. My weaknesses are his strengths and vice versa. And so we work well as a partnership. And that is as a result of me knowing my weaknesses and actually not being defensive around them. I just use that knowledge, that self-knowledge in order to plug that weakness with a strength from someone else. Had I been defensive around that, I would have not put people around me that have strengths that I need. If I have self-awareness, I also know my strengths. And so by understanding my strengths, I know where the sharp edge of my strategy can be, my personal strategy could be. And we hear of approaches like a strength finder where the emphasis is on exaggerating your strengths as opposed to compensating for your weakness. And that is another theory, and I think it's a very, very fascinating theory, and, and I think it's got a lot of validity is to you know, strengthen your strengths and not necessarily spend time on strengthening your weaknesses and rather find people in your team that compensate for those. Which is a good segue into the second point of leading self, which is self-improvement. Are you able to put down an accurate list of strengths and weaknesses you have? Does the team you've assembled reflect an understanding of these strengths and weaknesses? 
Or are you in actuality fooling yourself because you have a skewed or false view of your strengths and weaknesses and this is causing frustration within your business? So some really good initial food for thought here. Let's now move on to Alon's second point, self-improvement. Whether you've chosen to strengthen your weaknesses, either directly or through other people, if you've chosen to magnify your strengths, if you intend to use your self-knowledge to compensate for any bias you might realize about yourself in your life, with all three of these, there needs to be an action plan, a self-improvement plan, a so what, what I do. Being aware of self is one thing. Doing something about it is the second step. We hear the saying leaders or readers. What is reading? Reading is around self-improvement. It's about improving knowledge. It's about better understanding. It's about taking the action to buy the book and read the book. Why is it that there are so many global leaders that are in courses across the globe at universities and elsewhere? Why is it that there are tens of thousands of global leaders in organizations like Entrepreneurs Organization and YPO where they are part of fora that they meet with once a month in order to self-improve, become self-aware, get feedback from others. And the reason for that is because these leaders understand that they need to take the step in order to improve self. I was one of the co-founders of Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa and belonged to a forum of around 10 people that met once a month for more than 15 years. We became very intimate with one another's businesses and one another's personality, weaknesses and strengths. And every couple of years we would have a special forum where we would ask for harsh feedback, raw feedback, bare knuckle feedback. And I remember sitting in one of these forums, you have this adrenaline rush, this actually a little bit of fear and you sit there and you get your turn now. You got your pen and paper and they get stuck in. And it's hard. It's hard to hear the critique. It's hard to hear that feedback. It's hard to hear that people have seen through your BS and through your veneer. But these people have sat with you for 15 years and have watched your journey and heard your stories and seen how you've said things and not done certain things, seen how you've said others and done those things. And here you're sitting in front of these people who one by one, start telling you about your weaknesses and your strengths, giving you that raw feedback. I've still got um, the notes from that feedback session. In fact, I've got it from all three feedback sessions I had over the years. And almost like a checklist, have over the years tried to tick off those issues, those identified weaknesses, and try to magnify the strengths that were highlighted. I think it's been around five years since the last session and I'm probably around 50% there. It's taken a long time to work through those things. That's hard to, to self-improve. It's hard to take that critique. It's hard to change the way that you think. And, and as you're getting that critique, you're thinking, but you know, your defensiveness in you is thinking, but you don't understand. You don't understand the real context. And you have to like breathe through that and let, let the critique in, in order to run around your head to take from it what is required. I think the point here is that 
self-improvement requires a critique, a critique of self, a critique from others, in, and then an action in order to actually get to the point where you, you have improved. So why would you do that? Why would you go through that level of ego-crushing feedback? Why would you do that? So that I can improve myself. So that I can lead better, lead myself better, lead others better, become more successful. So I think what's interesting for me around leaders is how much critique they allow in. And they say the taller the tree, the more wind it receives. The taller the person, the more successful the person, the more criticism they receive. And in a weird way, that's what makes them stronger. But I think the point of this conversation now is that critique that comes from external and also, let's not forget from you know, the voices in your head as a leader, that critique is critical for self-improvement. And it starts to crystallize your thinking about who I am and who I'm not and what I believe in and what I don't and what I might have got right and what I might have got wrong. And as a result, you become crisper in terms of how you lead. It's quite definitive. It's clear in your mind. You're not fuzzy. And that lack of fuzziness, that crispness, is compelling for somebody who can't make a decision where the answer is not that clear for them. And the fact that you, having honed that thinking over a long time are able to make a very clear decision then communicate that decision in a clear and compelling way makes you a compelling leader. So all this critique leads to a lot of thinking, a lot of sorting things out in your head and a lot of self-improvement opportunities. Are you taking action to improve yourself on a continual basis? What do you think your peers and colleagues might place on your list? These are key considerations as one's business grows and requires even more from its leadership and leadership team. Next, we talk area number three, self-motivation. In my book, Lose the Business Plan, I dedicate a whole chapter to the discipline of motivation. What I've realized as an entrepreneur is that people who derive their motivation extraneously find it very difficult in tough times to push themselves through. They keep needing to go and find external sources of motivation. And sometimes those are not available readily. So they remain in a state of flux until they can find some external form of motivation, wasting an incredible amount of time when they might need to have moved forward. Can you imagine yourself as a leader in, in a war where... You're going through a really, really rough time. You've just lost a battle, perhaps, and feeling a little low, and then start uh, looking for a motivational speaker or a motivational book in order to move yourself forward. You can't do that. You have to be able to motivate yourself. And what I've seen in entrepreneurial leaders is this deep ability to self-motivate. Entrepreneurs do this in different ways. And I suppose you have to find your own way. I'll share my way. It's not necessarily your way. And I'll share some other people's ways. Some people wake up and pump themselves with self-talk, looking at themselves in the mirror, shouting at themselves, you can do it, you can do it. We see this also in the movies very often before a big court case, the lawyer walks to the bathroom, talks to themselves, takes a deep breath and... Off they go, motivating themselves to win that 
court case. Other people might use prayer in order to motivate themselves, this humbling yourself before your God and asking for assistance might help, might motivate, might focus your mind. Other people might use meditation in order to keep themselves motivated. That ability to still their mind for just a few minutes or an hour to allow clearer thought to enter their mind thereafter. Other people might use sport, physical exercise in order to motivate themselves. For me, I have my shower exercise, which I've spoken about often. Every morning as I get into the shower, I repeat the same mantra, the same series of words every day for the last 25 years, and probably, hopefully, for the next 25 years or more. I may, I can, I will, I am. As the water trickles down my face, I say to myself, I may, meaning I have the right to. And I remind myself that I have the right to succeed, the right to be successful. It is my right as much as it's anyone else's right. No one has more right to success than I do. No one has less right to success than I do. But I remind myself that I have the right to success. And that success I actually spell out as I speak to myself. I have the right to be successful. I have the right to become a billionaire, millionaire, hundred thousandaire, whatever your vision is, whatever your target is that you're trying to achieve. The second set of words that I repeat to myself in my mind are, I can. I have the ability to. I remind myself that I have the ability to become successful. I have all the resources and tools and capabilities and access to those in order to become successful. I have no excuses. I can. The third set of words that I repeat to myself in my mind are, I will. When I say I will, I mean I have the will. I remind myself that I have the will and then repeat it again in a way that is emphatic. I will succeed. I will achieve and then list those things that are in my mind's eye in order to achieve. And finally, I close my eyes and say, I am, and see myself and feel myself in a state of that success. Now that is what I call my shower routine. This is a method that I have evolved for myself over the years in order to motivate myself. And what I find, to be honest, is that in tough times, I might spend a little longer in the shower going through this. I might repeat this maybe twice or three times in order to push through maybe a, a low state of motivation at the time. But I use this methodology every single morning for the last 25 years in order to push me through. Did you hear that phrase, the discipline of motivation? When have you ever heard motivation being called a discipline? See, this is why I love these discussions with Alon. And here are a few more questions to keep the cogs turning. What do you do to motivate yourself and focus your mind? Is this a daily practice or is this sporadic? Are you able to classify this as a discipline or is this something you need to be working on? 
All right, area number four, self-discipline. I don't know one leader out there that hasn't had a down day, a down week. And it is definitely a trait of leadership to be able to self-motivate. It may not be so obvious, but it's definitely there. Which brings us to the fourth point of today's podcast, self-discipline. This too is definitely there, but may not be as obvious unless you ask the right questions or scratch the surface a little to find out where that leader has discipline. It might be the discipline of planning, it might be physical discipline, it might be controlling what you eat. I think the concept of self-discipline is probably the most complex one of all because it is the one that is probably the most connected to the idea of success. The concept of, if I do this, then I get that. And self-discipline comes in many formats, but probably just two categories. It's what I need to do and what I need to omit, not do. And this is an interesting thing. There's a wonderful saying in entrepreneurship, in business, that success most often is a function of what we say no to, not what we say yes to. You'll see that strong leaders, strong entrepreneurial leaders, are very capable of saying no to certain things, no to certain people, no to certain opportunities. And this comes back to that clarity that I spoke about earlier around self-knowledge. The reason why an entrepreneur will find it easy to say no to an opportunity that presents is because they are, are crystal clear that that opportunity does not fit the strategy. Let me repeat that. The reason why an entrepreneur will find it incredibly easy to say no to an opportunity that presents is because they are very clear that opportunity does not fit the strategy. So the yes part or the, the doing part, the acting part of discipline, the doing the 100 sit-ups or the 10-kilometer run or whatever the case may be if it's a physical discipline and the equivalent of discipline of working, I think starts off with a very deliberate connection to target, to vision. If I do this, then I'll get that. But what happens soon after that is it becomes habit. It becomes a way of life. I look at my wife who grew up as a professional tennis player who was on the court every single day, training every single day. Approximately 30 years later, after ending her professional career, she still exercises religiously every day. I, on the other hand, was not a professional anything when it came to sport. I didn't grow up with a daily ethic of physical training. So I can find it very easy not to have any physical discipline to train on a daily basis. I don't feel I'm missing anything. But because I've been disciplined around work, and working every day, you take me out of my work environment for just two days and I start to become fidgety. I miss the work as a routine, as a discipline, as a daily discipline, the same way my wife will miss the physical exercise. It's the same habit, just different content. We have the ability to turn self-discipline into habit if we do it long enough. And I think that's the ideal place to get to because it, it doesn't become 
oh gosh, now I have to do my today's 100 sit-ups. It actually doesn't, it's the opposite feeling. If I don't do my 100 sit-ups, I don't feel good. It's not the negative association with the exercise, with the discipline. It's a positive association. It becomes habit. And when you get to that point, I think it is much easier to become a successful leader when, when whatever your discipline is becomes habit. I really love that as a way to explain or define discipline. If I do this, I get that. Simple and true. Add to this the other gem that Alon shared, that success is most often a function of what we say no to. And suddenly, while some of our friends are driving fancy cars or going on exotic holidays, we're slowly chipping away at our vision by enacting that simple truth. If I do this, I get that. Then, as if by luck or magic to those on the outside, these daily efforts begin to compound. Habits are formed and momentum is enjoyed. And I think the last thing, but an important thing that I want to associate with self-discipline is that self-discipline becomes the, the, the spine of leadership. It's the thing that you go to. When my wife, for example, is stressed, the first thing she thinks of is, I now need to go and do exercise. When I get stressed, the first thing I think of is, I have to go and work to de-stress. It, it's the place I go, it's the place, it's the center the spine it is the the thing that earths me and allows me to calm myself in order to be a better leader to be a more successful entrepreneur that might be a tough concept to digest but i've seen this time and time with successful leaders and successful entrepreneurs that their discipline actually becomes the thing that earths them and allows them to be more successful a better leader you know, today we've spoken about self-leadership in respect to self-awareness, self-improvement, self-motivation, self-discipline, all with the word self. It's about your relationship with you. The series is about leadership. And so I think that the core of leadership in its essence is the relationship with yourself. And the more authentic and healthier your relationship with self the more successful you are likely to be as a leader, as an entrepreneur. Head over to racecorp.com where you'll find similar resources and also the opportunity to sign up for updates and notifications of new releases. In addition to this, follow Racecorp on your favorite social media platform where you'll find similar updates on when the next podcast in this series is released. My name is Gareth Armstrong and I'll see you in the next episode.